The only people for me are the mad ones. The world is filled with the boring and the barely conscious. The misery loves company. But we don't have to live this way. Jessica and I are here to talk to those the system rejects, to radicals and thought criminals. The ones who never yawn or say a commonplace thing, but push the boundaries of acceptable discourse. Those who stare reality in the face and dare it to be different. History isn't made by the timid, and fun is not had by the perpetually afraid. We are the mad ones. So let's get to it. Welcome to the mad ones, and Merry Christmas. I'm here really Aww. hoping that these couple of white hairs in my beard spread quickly and take over my entire beard and hair so I can look like a youthful <laughs> Santa Claus host, Cam Harless. And with me, as always, is someone who's literally short enough to be an actual Christmas elf with the rosy cheeks <laughs> to match, Miss Jessica Green. Thank you. Um, you're, you're welcome. My, my bio on Facebook says that I am a garden variety hobbit. Well, you you should at this point it should say that you're an elf because <laughs> Fair it's enough. that time of year. Fair and, enough, yeah. And no one can argue with me anymore because right now it is December the 8th and it Officially is Christmas time. The Christmas, <laughs> appropriately the Christmas season. Um, It is appropriately the Christmas season on November 1st. Hate to break it to you. But we should probably tell people where they can get coffee. Don't you think? <laughs> There's some yeah, especially there. since it's so cold out. Yeah, there are people out there who need a little energy boost, and we have a great coffee sponsor, Run Your Mouth Coffee. If you go to rymcoffee.com and use promo code the Mad Ones at checkout, you get 10% off your order. But here's the thing. They have bourbon barrel-aged coffee, and it smells it smells like heaven, but it tastes better. Um, and if you want to drink it, here's a little thing. We actually sell mugs now, and those are linked down in the description below. So if you want to drink that coffee... There's a way to do that. Jessica and I need to actually buy the mugs so that we can hold them while we're on the show. But, you know, <laughs> who are we? Um, beyond that, if you like beef jerky, righteousfelon.com. Grab some Nelson Mandela and use promo code MADONES for 10% off. Um, mm -hmm. Let's see. I think maybe the most important thing to mention is our Patreon. Because even though I just said it's December 8th, it's not. It's, it's what, what's today? November the 12th. It, it's, it's not real. But... We have patrons right now that are watching this live on in November, a month early. And you yes. could do that too. I mean, it's too late now if you're seeing this. But there are going to be occasions when we have people who are in other countries who we do stuff early. And you'll be able to see it before anyone else. So patreon.com slash the mad ones. And also, we're still doing the Bible study. We've moved on from John. We're in the middle of Luke. You can join us. And weekly we talk about it and go deep and deep dive together. Join us for that. That's enough stuff for the top, don't you think? People think have heard so. enough. All right. You've covered Hit it, like yeah. and subscribe. Um, <laughs> but we should bring on our guest. Uh, it's a returning guest. It's one that a lot of people have said, hey, I really want to hear more from him. And I really want to hear more about what he talked about, the divine council, the sons of mm -hmm. God, this, this concept of the unseen realm. And so mm -hmm. we brought him back. Literally the night we did that episode, we said, hey, you want to come back? And so tonight with us once again is a man who's well on his way to writing more books than he's read, a succinct writer who's incredible at citing his sources, and a, theo a theology graduate student, the author of Fight the Powers Unhitched and a Second Adam, and host of Cantus Firmus, Mr. Cody Cook. How are you Greetings. Doing? 
All right, I'm doing well. Glad to be here. How are you guys doing? Doing all right. Really good. So oh, it's the first raspberry that's ended up in the middle of an intro, and I'm not embarrassed. <laughs> it's a feature and not a bug. Uh, but, but how have you been since it's now December the eighth? How was yeah. Thanksgiving? <laughs> uh, Thanksgiving was was fantastic. Um, the alien invasion on November thirty first. Uh, I don't think anyone could have expected that. Who could uh, have known? Except that one guy on Twitter who was trying to warn everybody. Of course. But here we are, and and I think our Vogon overlords have been a lot more compassionate than we thought they were going to be. I thought, I thought they would be more clever, though. I didn't expect it to literally be Kamala Harris unzipping <laughs> that bodysuit and coming out the way that she did. I I wasn't prepared because I thought perhaps these people are more clever than we think. These if only we believed Billy Corgan. We should have. Yeah. <laughs> we still can. <laughs> There's still time. There's still time to believe Billy Corgan. <laughs> so welcome back. Thank you for coming back. And I, I wasn't lying when I said people were like, hey, we want to, we want to hear more about this. We want to hear more from Cody. So uh, they also appreciated Ryan, but the the guy, he was supposed to be here, but he got busy and that's okay. He's too tired. And I understand it. I have five children. I have oh, to wow. I have to choose when I sleep. <laughs> What, what and he are the doesn't. Of your children, by the way, what's the range? Uh, well, my uh, my oldest turned seven uh, yesterday. Okay. So uh, they go from, I think, ten months to seven. So you're just kind of knocking them out. Yeah, man. By the time yeah. I'm like fifty, rapid fire. They should all be ready to go live on their own or on the compound with us. One of the two. <laughs> <laughs> the nice thing about a lot of kids is you have a great, you know, seed for your cult that you eventually will start. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. The the branch Camdivians are coming along fine. Uh, we we will be uh, overtaking the Vogon overlords in mere months. <laughs> if you keep going at the rate you're going. <laughs> That's one of the things I appreciated about. I started going to an Orthodox church and every family in there, five is a minimum level of kids in the Orthodox church. And I thought, God, at least somebody's picking up my slack because my husband and I don't have any kids. Mm. So I'm glad other people out there like churning out replacement value human beings because we did not contribute. <laughs> how many How many kids do you and your husband have, Cody? Oh, <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I was I was going to say, Jessica, if you only have four kids, you're considered a catechumen, I think. No, um, right. <laughs> um, so my, uh, uh, not that there's anything wrong with that. My wife um, <laughs> uh, and I have uh, two kids. Uh, so I've got a, we have an eight-year-old and then a uh, one who just turned one in October. Wow. So it's kind of a large range, but not as many filled in. So, oh yeah. Okay. You got to get busy. You got to do it. Um, what, what's well, cool about that? Busy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's cool well, about this this time of the year is I loved Christmas as a kid, loved it, and then I'm one of those rare people who still loves it for personal reasons. I just still love Christmas, mm -hmm. but I had kids, and then my love for Christmas is even higher now than it yeah. was when I was a kid, because I know what they're feeling, and I get to help with that. Yeah. And, you know, there's so much going on. There's Advent. There's all the readings of the Bible. I People argue with me because I do put my Christmas stuff like this. It's November. I, I didn't put this tree in my background because I was like, oh, we're doing the December shows. I put it up November 1st because I wanted to. Mm -hmm. Actually, did. I put it up October 31st. 
Not gonna lie He's to the you. only person I know that is like shoving Christmas down people's throats. So you see a lot of <laughs> secular people on the internet complaining. He's like, these Christians, they're shoving Christmas down our throats. And we're like, no, no one's doing that. Except Cam. Cam, Cam is forcibly shoving Dude. Christmas down the, everyone's throat. The war on Thanksgiving starts November 1st. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you're right, kids do change it. So, like, my uh, my wife is is goth. And so, I, you know, I was one of those uh, nerds who turned his goth girlfriend into a wife. So, um, uh, but the, um, uh, she did not, she was not like a Christmas person at all. And then, I mean, having kids really changed her whole outlook on it. She was always, you know, Halloween, and we don't need to be talking about Christmas until December 20th or whatever. Anyway, so it's just, uh, yeah, it changed her whole outlook. She's she's really excited about Christmas now. In fact, um, I think we watch Christmas Vacation in October. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the thing. Like, I understand that people love their Thanksgiving, but really what this start, what's, it started as a troll. I started saying it on October 1st or November 1st as a response to people who were complaining mm -hmm. about people being excited about Christmas that early. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, you're just crapping on people's joy. And so I'm going to annoy you until <laughs> uh, at least December 1st. So I will <laughs> say for those girls like me who are goth girls, I was in high school at least who love Christmas both at the same time, there is a movie for us. It's the nightmare before Christmas which combines both the spooky elements and the Christmas elements. And it's a perfect blending of the two worlds, in my opinion. I'm just, I'm just saying there, I, uh, people will talk. I, I will never understand people saying that Thanksgiving is their favorite holiday. Like if it is more power to you, but it's like when <laughs> the way I rank turkey, holidays, <laughs> what was that? So what do you have against Turkey, man? Well, Turkey is not that great. Can we agree with that? It's not that great. Well, listen, I, I, that's I, why I, we only make it once a year. Yeah, so I, I'm, I don't like to tell people this because you're supposed to tell people this if you are, uh, but I'm a vegetarian, so I don't actually eat this stuff, but I, I, I pretend to fit in and I bring up things, you know, like, <laughs> you know, I bought them reds or whatever, you know, but, um, right. <laughs> but yeah, I understand turkey's popular, but I do love to eat a nice tofurkey and some stuffing, some green beans, <laughs> mashed potatoes, stuff like that. Well, and, and that's my thing is uh, if from, sometimes we'll do turkey bo at both holidays. Sometimes it's the ham at Christmas, but either way, the sides, Thanksgiving is Christmas practice. That's when we dial in everything that if, if you want to try something new, you do it at Thanksgiving and then Christmas, you, you either abandon it or it's there. Like there's a lot of, I, if I just feel like these people only know how to cook once a year mm -hmm. and this saddens me because Christmas should be everything Thanksgiving is plus better. So tofurkey. This is the first I've heard of this. I'm looking at it. It looks do like they... a bubble. Well, he's not wrong, but um, <laughs> do they put flavoring in it to make it taste turkeyish? Is it, the yeah. I idea it, that it simulate the meat? Yeah. So yeah, it it doesn't look like turkey so much. Uh, but yeah, it does. It does have sort of a similar taste, at least as far as I can remember. Um, okay. And then yeah, and then I there's like this really good gravy you can get with it, and. Uh, I based it like in like soy sauce and olive oil and different herbs. It's pretty good. Hmm. I'm very, I'm interested in this, but it's because I wonder with the fake meats, if it's just that vegans and vegetarians haven't tasted meat in so long that this seems meatish to them. Mm -hmm. um, like the impossible stuff. Um, uh -huh. I've sampled a little bit and I'm kind of like, eh, like, you mm -hmm. know, it's not like you can tell that it's not, 
But if you hadn't had meat in a really long time, I think it would it would pass. Mm -hmm. You would feel like it was real meat. Yeah, I don't know that I would confuse tofurkey with real turkey, um, but but there it, it, there is something similar to it. Hmm. hmm. Interesting. Interesting. I'm willing it to give anything like a, a try. It. I'm not. I, I can't argue with you. There's yeah. there's a hole. <laughs> there's <laughs> it, it's, there's a hole. I mean, <laughs> look it up online. <laughs> He's not wrong. Um, <laughs> well, the, but, the hole is for the stuffing. So, I mean, you got to have the stuffing. Right. Right. Uh, we're in the South. Well, we have wait, 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 wait a second. You, turkeys have literal buttholes. Why are you guys crapping on tofurkey? Because know, when you see a turkey, there is a you, hole. I mean, you see a bird, you see legs. But if you Google the word tofurkey, yeah. you're greeted with Which a I sausage did. with a butthole. Okay. Yeah. He's, he's right. That's yeah, what you get. Yeah, if you look up That's the word turkey on Google, you won't see that immediately. But you know <laughs> yeah, it's coming. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what's weird is when you put your hand up its butthole, there's a bag. Yeah. And it's yeah. full of the innards. The chiblets. <laughs> the chiblets uh -huh. Yeah. So okay. interesting. So that's I'm having um, Thanksgiving with a Orthodox family this year. And it's in the middle of one of our largest feasts. Or not feasts. I'm sorry. Fasts. Yeah. Which is the nativity fast. During which Orthodox don't eat meat. Thanksgiving happens to fall on this holiday. I'm wondering how they're gonna do this, and I'm curious if a tofurkey will be involved. That's because yeah, yeah. So if there is, I, I don't know. I think I should be mentally prepared for what I'm walking into <laughs> as my would, first year I, as a fully fledged Orthodox. It, it's worth <laughs> yeah. She she was uh, chrismated since. We yeah, I know. Started. I saw that. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Congrats. Thank you. I don't remember a lot of it, to be honest. It was a very surreal experience. And um, I remember the Eucharist hitting my tongue and mm -hmm. it being warm. Okay. And kind of being startled because I just didn't expect you. You think wine and you think like cool because mm -hmm. wine you have is usually cold. So no. when it hit my tongue and it was warm, it like, I don't know, like surprised me a little bit. And then um, the next thing I remember is the deacon pointing to the side and being like, go get the bread. Mm -hmm. And I kind of just like came back down to earth. But other than that, it was a pretty surreal like yeah. experience. I would say like a kind of a tunnel vision-y kind of thing that I'm still kind of working out and trying to remember. So I'm cool. glad people took lots of pictures because I was not in, in my full um, earthly presence of mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, not sure how to describe that and not sound like a crazy person, but no, 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 no I know what you mean. Yeah, <laughs> and the Orthodox they do like a common cup and a common loaf, right? We all share from one, yeah. So you do eat, it's called the common spoon, and the mm -hmm. priest will scoop from the chalice. And uh, because of COVID and things of this nature, my priest, uh, there's a little wrist action, a little bit of a flick, okay, and he kind of he flicks it in there, and then they have like a, a, a you know, like a cloth underneath you so that none of it spills or falls okay. but he's good he's good with that aim and he he flicks it right in there like it kind of hit the back of the throat gotcha. area and they like, I, was I, like, thought ah. you, I thought you were just like he like help, holds it up over you like when like when i like yep. stand in front of the fridge and drink chocolate syrup yeah <laughs> well i'm a lot shorter than all the deacons and the priests so from my perspective okay. they are sort of flicking it down at me yeah. but um i was watching the people going before me and i did see that there was a bit of wrist action to it i thought oh, okay that's um covid compliant so yeah. we're all still using a common spoon but he's got the presence of mind to like 
flick it instead of I was I was told put by your, someone put it that, that is that is actually just the normal way they do it. With the flick? Yeah. Oh, okay. So See, I that, think that that's is, normal. I've only done it twice at this point. So Am I, I was wrong thinking, in that the bread and the wine is mixed together as well? It's mixed together, yeah. And then okay. the, with a little bit of warm water as well, which is where the warmth came from. And it kind of shocked me. I And then I thought, my, my instantaneous thought was, oh, because it's blood. Mm -hmm. And it just, I don't know, that was the first thing that popped into my head is like, of course it's warm, it's blood. And like, yeah, yeah but they do put warm water in it. Yeah. And in, in the East, I think that they use leavened bread, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. It's a big loaf. And so they cut what they call the lamb out of the center. And mm. that's the part that the priest blesses as the Eucharist. And that goes okay. in the cup with the wine. And then the rest of it is cut up. And it's called, if I'm not pronouncing it wrong, and I really hope I'm not, um, Andradon or the gift bread. And that yeah. bread is set to the side and you can take pieces of that bread and bring it back to people um, who are not either not taking communion for whatever reason, people who are not Orthodox, um, whatever. If there's just like friends that came with you to church that day, you can bring them the, the gift bread, which oh. is also blessed. But the idea behind the bread is that you take the Eucharist and then you eat the blessed bread after that. So the very next thing that goes into you after you've taken the Eucharist is blessed bread. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, um, that you don't go out and like shoot some whiskey or something like that after you've had the Eucharist. Like the very next thing you eat will be blessed as well. Gotcha. Right. Who doesn't love whiskey right after taking communion though? You know, I don't know, like uh, the Russians have vodka yeah, in the church. Say. Yeah. Because so. like, it's, it's the, this is my body. This is this is my blood and this is the Holy spirit. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the reason why we asked you back uh, beyond just liking you as a human being uh, was like right after we got off, we talked for a little while and I was, we were talking about different things to do for Christmas because we wanted to have some intelligent spiritual conversations about Christmas and then maybe a Christmas party, which we will next, next week <laughs> for you listening on December 8th. Um, but uh, you, you, we just talked about the sons of God and the Nephilim and um, essentially interdimensional beings. And you drew the, the contrast between the Nephilim and the incarnation of Christ. And mm -hmm. so that is, was a fascinating thing because you know it's it's like how we were talking to the pirate lady uh the other day uh the pirate doctor pirate doctor sir yeah, i'm sorry i bet you, uh, I, bet you don't, I bet you don't call her dr jill biden either no she this one was an actual doctor <laughs> um but we were talking to her and she she mentioned mentioned uh letters of mark that were used in wartime for they used pirates that became privateers and stuff and then a connected to the constitution and letters of mark and reprisal and article one and it was just this different this thing where it's like i never would have made that connection had she not said mm -hmm. just letters of mark right at that point yeah and so i had that connection and i've kind of saved up because i haven't i haven't read too much on it uh i've read about different atonement theories which we kind of talked about as well um but i was like i want him to tell me what this idea is because this is a fascinating way to look at the world and see the you know the second temple period yeah. how jesus would have viewed things love to hear more about this okay 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, and that, that, that sort of that making connections thing is something that happens to me all the time studying theology, where you just sort of oh, yeah. see something, you know, in the Old Testament, or whatever, you know, connect to something in the New Testament, or, or you know, anyway, it's, it's it's fascinating. But so, yeah, so maybe I should start with um, describing this idea called recapitulation. And so, recapitulation, um, it's a word that there's a, there's a similar word in Greek uh, that's used by Paul, um, but it's uh, famous. I guess it became sort of famous through this uh, church father named Irenaeus, who was writing around the 180s, I think. Um, and what he was really arguing was that, um, so recapitulate means to rehead or to give a new head to something. Mm-hmm. And so Paul uses this idea when he talks about Christ as the new Adam or the second Adam. And so, whereas you have this one fount of humanity called Adam, who uh, basically through sin brings death to everyone, you have another fount of humanity, Christ, who through obedience brings life to everyone. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote about the uh, the idea in a book, which I think you're reading, Second Adam. Um, and I gave different examples of, of its application. And I really argued for it as like an atonement model that we could kind of use it to sort of look at all these other theories of the atonement and sort of put them all together in a way that fits. Um, well, and can I just say real quick, uh, just for basic understanding of people who may not know what you're talking about with yeah. the different atonement models is for uh, most people who probably listen to this will, if they're not Eastern Orthodox um, and not, if they're not Catholic, which is very similar to kind of the Protestant view, but a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, they typically think of uh, penal substitutionary atonement. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you, there, then there's Christus Victor and ransom. And there are several different ways that people view the work of Jesus on the cross, on yeah. the cross of Christ on the cross. Uh, could you give a very basic definition of those and what you're kind of yeah. proposing instead? Yeah. So, so atonement is an English word and it's a very fancy, sophisticated word. It means at one minute. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the idea is that there's something that's going on that's created a rift between God and humanity. And so atonement is how that rift gets fixed. And uh, in, in the Christian viewpoint um, that there's this, sort of chasm that only God is able to cross. And so um, so atonement in the West, we like to think of it in terms of Christ as a substitute. Um, we use this language of penal, uh, which isn't dirty. Uh, it just means it has to do <laughs> with like a, like a penal colony, for example, or some, something being done in a court of law. Um, yeah. and John so, Calvin pushed that a lot because he was a lawyer. Yeah, and, and the <laughs> idea, uh, so it, it, it kind of originates well i don't want to say originates because you you can find it in the bible to some extent it's just the debate is exactly how much um but there's this guy named anselm and i think the 12th century uh who he really starts talking about satisfaction that that becomes this he becomes this uh uh figurehead in the west thinking about the atonement um because we really don't have too many real hardcore theories of the atonement for the first thousand years like we're arguing about the deity of christ and what that means and we talk about the atonement, but it's not really fully fleshed out, right? Yeah. And so that, that sort of comes a little bit later in the West. So the second millennium is where everybody's trying to figure out the atonement. So Anselm starts talking about satisfaction that when you insult somebody or you damage someone in some way, uh, that you are supposed to pay some kind of recompense, mm-hmm. right? And so God has been offended by our sin. So God must be satisfied by what we've done. And so he uh, does that work for us. Um, by sending Christ to die in our place or by God dying in our place, really, as, as a man. 
So um, then you kind of flash forward a little bit um, and that develops over time into this idea of penal substitution where we really think of we, the, the law court metaphor really becomes important. Um, and so Protestants in particular want to think in terms of like, this is an accomplished thing. This has happened. We are atoned for. We've been saved. Mm -hmm. And so they imagine this scene where God is like this judge and we're before God and we've done something wrong. And Christ steps up and agrees to take the punishment that we deserve in our place. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's the penal idea. Um, Christus Victor um, is more popular in the East and it's related mm -hmm. to this ransom idea as well. And uh, some scholars would argue that it that's, that it's really the view for the first thousand years of the church. That can be kind of debated, but there's something to that. Uh, and the idea of Christus Victor is instead of God having to satisfy himself, God um, is paying sort of a ransom to Satan to defeat him. So we are in the grips of Satan and God pays the ransom. So if, you, if anybody has seen or read the Chronicles of Narnia and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it's that idea of Edmund the traitor who has, through his treachery, has given himself over to the White Witch, right? And so the White Witch now has him. And if Aslan wants to get him back, he has to offer something to the White Witch that she wants. And so what God, or Jesus, through Jesus, offers is his life. And of course, Satan doesn't know that God is playing a trick and that he is, uh, that Satan will, that basically Jesus is not going to stay dead. That, that actually through this act, this isn't like a hiccup that, that, that in God's plan, it's actually God's purpose, right? But these are really just models and ways of thinking about how is it that we become one with God after we've been separated. And what I try to argue is that if you start with this recapitulation idea, that's really that, that's really this idea of an atonement. So we have in Adam, we fall away from God, we become disconnected, but then through Christ, we join this new humanity, mm -hmm. right? And that happens partly on the cross, but it happens earlier. And, and so um, in the Eastern church in particular, in the early church, they talked about how, um, the, how important the incarnation was, that um, God became like us so that we might become like him. And that um, God took on everything that it is to be a human because whatever God didn't take on, God didn't heal. And so yeah. there's this idea of them coming together, the God and man coming together uh, to offer this healing. And really what you see in recapitulation as well um, is an idea of reversal. So you have these images or characters or plot lines or even objects in the Old Testament and uh, Christ um, mirrors them, but he also often reverses them in an important way. So you have King David, who is a, is a figure of Christ, but also Christ is a much better King David. He doesn't fail where King David failed. You have no Bathsheba Christ. for Jesus. You got it. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and uh, the Adam metaphor is primary. Uh, and I think Irenaeus likes to talk about how, or like to talk about God rest his soul, uh, like to talk about how um, uh, Adam's sin with the tree was recapitulated in Christ's obedience on the tree or on yeah. the cross, right? This so was actually a huge thing for me recently is uh, seeing that uh, connection between the tree of life and the garden of Eden mm -hmm. and Jesus dying on the tree. Like this is something that I've seen and read and, and recognized the word tree in both places. But then I, I looked at it again and I was like, he died on a tree. That is where our life stems from, from his side on that tree. Mm -hmm. And we lost the tree of life. And so I, I had that realization like 
month and a half ago. And I was yeah. like, oh my God, how did I miss this for so long? Yeah, sure. Well, and, 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 and you know, it, it, I was going to say like another object or something to think about would be like the temple, right? Mm-hmm. So in, in the temple, you have this mechanism that God provides so that he can dwell among his people because mm-hmm. God can't dwell where there's been defilement. And so if you yeah. want to be able to deal with this defilement, the uncleanness, the unintentional sins, then you need a mechanism to cleanse that. And that's what the temple's there to do. And God yeah. dwells in the temple. And so there's this idea of God coming down to physical space and living among us. And that is the temple, but it's also more importantly and most importantly, Jesus. Yeah. And the so, tabernacle. Yeah. yeah. There's a very specific story that comes to mind when you're talking about that, which is the woman who touched the hem of Christ's mm. garment. Um, she had an issue of blood for 12 years is what the mm-hmm. scripture says in that time she would have been considered because women who were on their monthly cycle would not have gone into the temple they would have mm-hmm. been considered defiled so she for 12 years had this issue of blood she would have been an unclean person who could never have gone into any kind of religious service mm-hmm. and um, touches him the power uh, to heal her goes through him he stops the whole crowd not to, I think, call her out, but to draw attention to this, to say um, that her faith has healed her. Yeah. And here is an example to, that in the, I think in the Jewish mind of the time would have been a totally unclean person, someone who could not have come into the temple at all because of this issue of blood, so yeah. to speak. So that that rings out like so many of these stories come down to people with physical ailments that would have been considered unclean you are are you blind because you've sinned you know various uh examples over and over again of um not needing that mechanism of the temple any longer sure well and and i want to mention real quick though so this idea of um you know being blind is that was that because of a sin that you committed that's something that people started those people started to think in those terms but as you read the Old Testament, that's not really the point that's being made. And uncleanness isn't even necessarily sin either. Um, yeah. it's, it's not necessarily a choice that you made to do something wrong, but it has this kind of ceremonial defilement, yeah. right? Um, Ritual uncleanliness. Yes, you got it. You got it. One thing I wanted to mention about the temple, though, that I find interesting is when you go in and you start reading the descriptions of it and how they set it up, and Michael Heiser talks about this, um, but there are these these symbols and the way they set things up is like a recreation of Eden, which mm-hmm. was the last place that God walked with man. And I find that that connection, like there are all of these connections that I that I, I find anew all the time, and I'm just like, this is the stuff, man. Yeah, yeah, and, and that that God dwelling with this thing really. It just it sort of punctuates the scripture throughout. So you have Eden, God dwelling with us, the tabernacle, God dwelling with us, the temple, God dwelling with us, Christ, God dwelling with us. And then the Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit lives in us, God dwelling with us. Then you get to Revelation and it talks about how there's no temple because God dwells with us. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so th- th- that's that's a, that's a very common theme that this, this sort of heavenly space is punctuating the earthly space. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, it, it's it's also interesting. The, another um, flip of the coin is you have the sin of Eve, who you know the 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 evil one, the the enemy, used woman to affect Adam. Yes. And then God used Mary to bring Jesus into the world. Absolutely. These, all of these things where He is undoing 
the mm-hmm. pe- the past and the sin and the destruction and i yep. love that yeah could you actually used my absolute favorite icon as the cover of one of your books and it's mm-hmm. commonly known as the harrowing of hell mm-hmm. um and it's you know christ he's reaching down and taking adam and eve out of their tombs and then if you notice he's standing on two doors that are laid at his feet in the shape of a cross mm-hmm. and the sim that icon is just so pregnant with incredible symbolism and um he's he's defeating death he's he's broken down the gates of death by the cross and then is lifting adam and eve out of their tombs and so what attracted me to that book immediately was like oh it's got the harrowing of hell on the cover how could i not read this book first yeah and yeah (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah and i i I love old icons uh partly because i love eastern orthodox art uh, but also because they're not under copyright. Um, but the, uh, <laughs> but the, uh, I did I some, <laughs> some similar um, kind of older paintings when I did second Adam, where you've got like, I don't know if this is that visible, but on the top, you have the image of Adam and Eve on the side of the tree. Then on the bottom, you have Jesus. So you sort of, this sort of parallel thing, this tree right in the middle. Uh, and then you have these demons on the side flanking Jesus. And then the serpent is in, in the image. Anyway, so it's meant to sort of be a physical representation of that sort of mirroring. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so um, so yeah, that, that's the basic idea of what I would call like a second Adam soteriology. And um, I and soteriology I, means... Oh, sorry. Soteriology Adam. means to, uh, salvation, a theory of salvation. Or, or you could also talk about atonement. Um, and yeah, and I thought I kind of at the time when I started writing about this that I was almost like maybe the first person to see this. And then I, I've read where other people have talked about that because traditionally you wouldn't call recapitulation and atonement theory, but I think it, I think it is. Um, yeah. and, and I make arguments for that, but, but really one thing I didn't really talk about in the book and I kept wishing that I had, and so I'm glad that we were talking about it is that the Nephilim also serve as a mirror image that Christ recapitulates. Yeah. And so, um, People like the Nephilim stuff, so I could, maybe I will uh, spend a little bit more time talking about them. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Let's, let's, let's give them a little more background. Okay, so you could probably actually start with the Apkalu. And so this is something that's been, um, I think scholars are recognizing more and more um, that these um, Sumerian or Mesopotamian um, uh, beings that so these are like these legendary creatures. They're endowed with extraordinary wisdom. They're divine originally. Uh, and then you start to read about these sort of two thirds or partially uh, divine beings that are like partly Apkalu, partly human. And they get associated with the kings and the priests. And the argument basically is that it's almost like a divine right to rule, right? Because yeah. well, I have the, the blood of the wise Apkalu within me. And so that I should be your king, I should be your priest, I should be your leader, et cetera. Right? You can see that clearly in a different area with uh, Egypt yes. and how they how they viewed the god kings. And it, that's been a big thing throughout history up until a certain point. Like we don't talk about that nearly as much. But I do think that now there's a lot of uh, Christianization that's happened to it. And people talk about it similarly, but in a different way that's more acceptable. But that's a conversation for another day, I think. Yeah. Well, and, and so I think, you know, when you're talking about Genesis and this kind of primordial stuff, you know, some people take it very literally, some people, you know, take it figuratively. There, there's an element of, and I think I used this word uh, the last time we talked, of a uh, polemic, right? So that mm-hmm. they're they're taking some image or idea 
from another culture and they're sort of flipping it around and almost sort of using it as an attack against that culture. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, so um, I'm inclined because I, I have trouble figuring out how to make sense of the Nephilim considering they're, they're not just in Genesis six, they're throughout the, uh, yeah. the books of, of Moses and Joshua. Um, so I, I'm inclined in to take that. Yeah. Uh, yes, that's correct. Yeah. And, and, and so I, I'm inclined to take that more literally because I, I think it's hard to kind of follow that train of thought of this is primordial history and it's symbolic or something. But I do think there's also an element of polemic here. And so I think that Israel is looking at the this idea of the Apkalu and these their pagan neighbors who are saying, well, you know, we our kings are, are these divine human hybrids. And that's why they have this right to rule and they bring special wisdom and insight that nobody else in the world has. And mm -hmm. the way that the Bible sort of takes that idea of these, these Apkalu is it says um, that the, when the sons of God went into the daughters of men, God responded with a flood. <laughs> and yeah. so this was this corruption of what humans were supposed to be. So you have these yeah. this divine human union that is actually a, a negative thing. Um, and over time, you see um, it's, it's more hinted at, I would say, in the Old Testament. But by the time the New Testament's come along, um, there's all this sort of discussion of this, like in First Enoch and other intertestamental works between the Old New Testaments, and and basically the um, the the Nephilim and the and the Watchers, who are the sons of God, another term for the sons of God, are responsible for for corrupting humanity. Mm -hmm. um, Heiser would even argue that in some of the intertestamental literature, the influence of the Nephilim is considered uh, worse than the influence of Adam on humanity. Oh. Um, and, and so I can totally see that because, yeah. you know, because if you, if you look, it's tied not to get into, uh, politics, but it's tied into the state. It's tied into, uh, so, uh the sword and war and destruction. And so it's, 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 yes, Adam was very deadly and, uh, what he did, but there's a lot of prodding and poking that you can see. And I, one thing I wanted to say quickly was I don't have any kind of an issue believing about the flood being a response to this because if you look in exodus and you see um moses and the plagues coming against egypt and how those plagues attacked certain gods in that region mm -hmm. you see the same kind of thing happening that same polemic like god is doing a thing but he's also attacking these unseen gods Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And you see it. For, so like, for example, the idea of uh, God coming on the clouds uh, and, yeah. and that's a that's a twisting Baal. of this idea of ball. Right. And and I think there's even a psalm um, that, that's been discovered to basically be almost copying um, a, a psalm to ball. I um, can't think of what it is off the top of my head. But 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 it's it's the, the instead of that in that ball slot, you have Yahweh. Right. Yeah. yeah and so. Um, Something that's maybe just maybe this is sort of parenthetical, or if it were in a book, I'd put it in a footnote. The idea of this commingling is not necessarily um, considered always a bad thing, and so uh, this idea of bringing things together. So people talk about how, oh, in the Old Testament, you couldn't mix threads, right? Um, yeah. You couldn't mix fabrics. Well, that's actually not entirely true because the priest wore garments that were mixed fabrics. Yeah, um, and so what actually. You, what you actually see is that mix these mixing uh, mixing is something that's associated with holy space, mm -hmm. and so so for example the um, uh, the cherubim are these 
creatures that are like, you know, part this, part that, and they're not entirely one thing. They're not these little fat babies. They're these sort of mixtures of different kinds of animals. And we, we read about that, I think, like in Ezekiel, for example. Um, and so, and they, they're the ones that were, are, are sculpted and sit on the throne of God in the, in the Holy of Holies, right? And so mixing is not necessarily a bad thing. The idea is of the temple is that the heavenly space is mixing or commingling into the earthly space, right? Um, but there are there are negative forms of it, and and what you see with the with the Nephilim is that they are this corrupting influence that's not what God has in mind. It's not what God uh, wants. And ultimately, I think that the the the, the Jew of the intertestamental period, and seemingly the, the Jews uh, of the or the Israelites of the Canaanite conquest um, saw this as like uh, almost like a demonic attack, right? That that so, so the, what God's creation is being twisted in some way through this intermingling. Uh, and that seems to be why. Heiser argued this, and I thought it was the weirdest thing until I started looking at the, the, the verses, and I thought, man, he might have a point, um, that the places where um, the Israelites are, are, you know, launching this conquest against Canaan, um, they're not supposed to destroy every place, but they are supposed to destroy all the places where the Nephilim are, are supposed to be, right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, so that's that's kind of the... A little bit of that background and i could i could pr probably go into more detail but i didn't uh write a script or anything i'm just kind of looking at different things i've written down or <laughs> noted <Yeah>. before <laughs> you're good um so then so okay so we have this idea divine and human come together and it's corrupting it's destructive uh, and that's the old testament so the recapitulated mm -hmm. recapitulation figure uh, this idea that the old testament is supposed to be gesturing to as this counter as this mirror is God and man come together in Jesus and that saves us mm -hmm. and, and, and not just saves us, but there's also this idea that the, whereas the Nephilim and, and the, uh, um, the watchers were bringing this forbidden knowledge that was destructive, uh, knowledge yeah. of, you know, witchcraft and, and, and making, making of weapons and things like that. Uh, the wisdom that Jesus brings is, uh, is, is, is like healing. It's, it's good for humanity. It's not this destructive yeah. stuff. Well, that and not to mention, there is a very important aspect of um, Jesus's conception, which is um, Mary's ascent. And yes. she was asked and she 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 said, yes, she chose to do it where the uh, watchers took women. Yes. They didn't they didn't ask permission. <laughs> it, there's no evidence that they asked permission to so to say. But with Mary, it was a very clear, you want to do mm -hmm. this? Yeah. Yes. She assents she to it. Yes. And for I think sure. that's important to note. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, I, it's kind of interesting because Mary's come up a couple of times. I, I think in, in the book, I mentioned Mary on a couple of occasions. And I sort of say something like there might be other Protestants who are uncomfortable with the role that Mary is playing in this kind of view of the atonement. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and I think... Um, I understand. You know, I, I I basically consider myself a Protestant, and I understand that there's this fear of of going to excess, right? But yeah. but sometimes when you're afraid of going to excess, you don't go far enough, right? You toss so you the baby out back. with the the bathwater. You got it. And, and I think we have to say, and, and and this is partly also why I think recapitulation is more of an ecumenical model too. Is it sort of finds a way to bridge the gaps between these other views, but it also finds a way to include Mary as an important figure in the atonement, which I think makes Catholics and Eastern Orthodox happy. 
Um, mm -hmm. But but we, but you don't have to go, you know, to where like um, um, Pope John Paul II tried to go, where he talked about Mary as the co-redemptrix and mediatrix. You don't have to go that far, uh, but you yeah. do. But there is an important role that's played. Absolutely. I mean, as far just you know, in my limited baby uh, level Orthodox view, um, she's just a human being. She's a very, very important human being. She's a human being that we're very reverential to because she mm -hmm. does perform this um, function of the new Ark of the Covenant. I've heard her described as because yeah. she's delivered. She is the vessel through which the Word is delivered to the people on Earth. Yeah. Um, but never, you know, I, I know the Catholics take it a little further with this like sacred heart and uh, mediatrix and all that kind of stuff, which I don't think the Orthodox and Catholics get lumped together a lot in that category because we are very referential of the mother of God, reverential yeah. of the mother of God, but we don't go as far as the Catholics do with it. She is absolutely a human being in all ways, shapes and forms to us. I think Catholics would say that too, but I think there's a, there's a, there's a question of how sincere that is in light of <laughs> certain other elements of theology. I, I think my mm -hmm. understanding is the Eastern Orthodox would agree with the Catholics and their view of the assumption of Mary that she was mm -hmm. taken up before she died. No, we actually oh. have a festival. We have a feast called the Dormition, which okay. um, is a recognition of her death. Okay, and we right. have, yeah, we have something called a beer, which is a re representative of like a Jewish tomb. Okay. And um, her icon or her figure is laid in that and surrounded by flowers. We have a two week fast that we do in light of that. And there's a whole sort of like celebration or reverence to her dying as a human right. being. And then, okay. and many icons, you will see Christ. You will see her body laid in the tomb, and then Christ holding her um, soul, represented as like the swaddled baby, gotcha. which is separate, okay. separate from her body. So, yeah, the Eastern Orthodox definitely view her as having been a human and having died a natural death as a human being. But um, do you guys hold to the um, the Immaculate Conception of Mary? That so th that yes. term we, we, we that, well, that she was. That but she was a virgin? Was no, no, no. Okay, so immaculate conception. She we was think, sinless. Yeah, we think that immaculate conception refers to Jesus's birth or conception. It's actually okay. a term that was used by Catholics to refer to Mary's conception, that she was conceived without sin. So Mary is considered to be absolutely human. I, I, I talked to my priest about this, actually, mm -hmm. because Cam and I have had this conversation. And he sent me... Um, something that a, a church elder, I think a, a abbot had written about it. And that in order for Christ to have been made man, mm -hmm. he had to come into the earth through a human being. Yeah. Human beings by our very nature are fallen. So it's not, a, we're I, not able to say she's sinless because there is the fallen nature of man. So I would, um, somewhat, I would somewhat disagree with that in that. Um, so especially if you kind of take a more literal view of Adam, uh, humans are not inherently fallen because if humans were inherently fallen, then God couldn't have become a human. This is actually okay, so a conversation we had in our Bible study last night because okay. someone, uh, forget, I think it was Jonathan was saying something about uh, natural man. And it made me think, okay, let's go ahead and get this out in the open. Natural right. man is supposed to be like God. So yeah. what I'm referring to is man after the fall. I know right, that yeah, man, man's intended state is yeah. not fallen. We're sure. talking about man after the fall. So I don't mean to say that humans are naturally fallen by our creation. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying that humans, including um, uh, Mary, mm -hmm. would have been part of the human zeitgeist corrupted at that point through the right. fall. 
so not think, by our nature as humans that God created us to gotcha. be that way. So I think what Catholics would say is that if Mary has sin, then she's not an appropriate vessel, yeah. right? And, and, and I don't think that Mary has to be uh, sinful necessarily. So that Catholics would say, well, you know, Christ's uh, Christ retroactively saved her and healed her so that she was sinless at birth, right? It's not like something she has uh, by rights or whatever. But, but what I think ultimately ends up happening with, with that view. But um, don't we, sorry to interrupt, but don't no. we mean that she is sinless in the sense that she did not know man in order to conceive a baby? Well, that so I, I would say two things. First of all, I don't think that sex is necessarily sinful, but, 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 but they're talking about in general that she was conceived with no sin. Yeah. So, so the, the Catholic view of original sin. The Catholics view Mary as not having original sin, not having any of that corruption. Whereas what I've read in the from the Orthodox perspective, it's that she was born with that corruption, but that she she chose not to sin. And so it's a step away from the from Catholicism, from my understanding. I would Whereas say that Christians, is, yeah. yeah, yeah, that 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 is in line with what. I understand the Orthodox view to be. Yeah. And so that it, and not Protestants just think she was a regular human who was blessed. And uh, it, th I think a lot of the argument has to do with understanding of how Jesus had to be conceived and the, the physical nature of that, which I, I think isn't when it comes to sin, doesn't matter because God can redeem all and can redeem. There are, there was a literal harlot in Jesus's bloodline. So, Obviously, he can redeem and use a sinful woman, but it was important that she was a virgin, and it could be, I mean, in, in the very least, there are many more reasons than this, but in the very least that Joseph, people couldn't be like, oh, hey, she was he was Joseph's kid, and she's just lying. Right, so my take on the mother of God has, as you say through your reading, has been that, yeah, she's a human being. So all humans are sinful, not by our as we've uh, elaborated Correct. before, not by our creation, but as a human being, we are sinful we have and a fallen. Sin nature. We yeah. have a sin nature. And then Mary assents to God's will to subvert her own will and to follow along with God's will. And in this way, she becomes an appropriate vessel for Christ. Yeah. Not that, you know, she is supernaturally um, or preternaturally in some way different than every other uh, human woman who is, you know, <laughs> but also like it's an, I, I always thought the immaculate conception just meant without sex, which obviously that's the story that she was a virgin who gave yeah. birth. And I think so that's that just contributes people to who are Protestant or outside of Catholicism, because mm -hmm. I remember when I was told that from a Catholic, oh, immaculate conception is talking about Mary's conception, not Jesus's. Mm -hmm. So that is a myth that I think needs to be busted because immaculate she conception is a Catholic concept of how Mary was conceived rather than how Jesus right. was conceived. She was born, she lived, she was a human being and she died. And as far, as far as I know, we do in the Orthodox church, at least um, acknowledge her death. And yeah. we even have a two week fast for the, what we call the dormition. Okay. Okay. That's all. I, I think I must have been mistaken about that. It, it, it seems to me, and, and maybe this is my Protestant side coming out. So I, I hope this doesn't seem critical or anything. It seems to me that part of the reason why Catholics have so many more uh, dogmas about this is because they have a centralized authority. That whereas Eastern Orthodoxy, mm -hmm. especially after the um, after the the split after the schism, mm -hmm. um, it's a little bit more spread out. So you have they have like the seven ecumenical councils, 
And then that's really it after that. And right. So <laughs> they sort of share that same faith, but they haven't been, they haven't really been able to like pull together these councils the way the Catholic church has, because they have the one bishop, the one head bishop. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's very possible that Eastern Orthodoxy could have a lot of its own strange views, but because a lot of these things came later in, in the, in the tradition, uh, they became codified in Catholicism and not in Eastern Orthodoxy. That, I, that's certainly the case with a lot of um, the figures that the Catholics consider saints yeah. who are not considered saints in the Orthodox Church and don't meet the criteria. For being Augustine is saints. not considered a saint in the Orthodox not Church. Not at all. Not at oh, all. But, and rightly uh, so, in my opinion. On the other hand, though, uh, I believe Origen is considered a saint in the Orthodox Church, but not in the Catholic Church. Um, I don't know if that's true. I'm, I want to say that I don't, I, I need to look it up, but I don't think right. that he is. Yeah. Let me, uh, <laughs> get a Google there's, there's an Orthodox, wait, no, straight up. There's an Orthodox wiki. So okay. I'll say it's not totally relevant <laughs> to the conversation, but it, but it was just, it was just a counter example that I thought was interesting. <laughs> so Nephilim, let's get back on the, the old train. Where okay. were we? Yeah. So I, 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 I think I'd kind of gotten us up to the point where we talk about Jesus as a reversal. Um, if I were to add something to that, I keep because I was thinking, man, this podcast is usually two hours. I don't know if I, I don't know if I can make this interesting for two hours. Um, but the, um, not Just that it's not, real not quick, origin, not yeah. a saint for the Orthodox. Okay. I think it was okay. Yeah. So, so that, so th thank you for clearing up my own misconceptions of the Orthodox Church. Um, so yeah, so one thing I, I would add is um, there, there's a um, was a theologian scholar named Thomas Torrance, and he actually argued that Jesus' incarnation, um, and that's another theological term, we've used it a handful of times, but in case yeah. someone's not following, that's the taking on a flesh. Yeah, in meat. Very good. <laughs> that's, 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 this has been sponsored by... Um, <laughs> Righteous um, felon. <laughs> <laughs> While you guys were talking about the, uh, the, the, the uh, coffee earlier, I, I, I put something in the private chat about the folks that you referenced in your opening... Um, um, the boring, know, theme or whatever. the boring conscious. and barely conscious. Yeah, the barely conscious. <laughs> yeah, they haven't had their daily cup of run your mouth coffee. That's right. <laughs> um, uh... But the um, so yeah, so what Torres is really arguing, which is kind of fascinating, is that um, the incarnation on its own um, is salvific. It's redemptive. So before you even get to the crucifixion and the resurrection, something really important is happening um, at the incarnation. And, and as much as I, I like to talk about the resurrection, because I think um, all my Catholic, Protestant, and Eastern Orthodox friends who believe in eternal conscious torment don't get <laughs> the resurrection, um, I, I think that Torrance has a, a, a pretty big point. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it's also, like I kind of hinted at earlier, maybe met, mentioned earlier, you see it in the early church, especially in the East. It's important to Athanasius. It's important to Gregory. Um, and so what, what you sort of have here is this idea that Simply the taking on of flesh, the union of God and man, um, you know, of course, the cross is important. Of course, the resurrection is important. But um, really, the idea is to bring God and man back together. Mm -hmm. And so the incarnation mm -hmm. is healing in that sense. And, and, and some of my friends who do believe in eternal conscious torment would actually argue that the incarnation not only um, brings eternal life to the saved, but that the reason that the damned are going to live forever is because of the incarnation <laughs> that because yeah. now that humanity has been joined right. to the divine, um, we have sort of taken on uh, this thing that Christ brought. Now, it seems to me that 
you know, you, you, you got to go all the way with that if you're going to say that. So if, if you're going to say that, well, because humanity's joined to Christ now, we're going to live forever. It's like, okay, well, why can't we all be holy? Why can't we all be saved? Why can't we all be redeemed? So I think you, you could go too far with that and, and maybe be forced to uh, go into universalism or something uh, where everyone gets saved. Um, but but I think, yeah, this idea of oh, that Torrance is talking about, T-O-R-R-A-N-C-E, if anybody's interested, um, is that the incarnation on its own, by itself, um, of course, leading up to the uh, the cross and everything, but that is salvific. Well, yeah. and and one of the things that I think that in funny enough, it was through the the show The Chosen that mm. made me have a realization and made me uh, push back into the concept of Christus Victor um, several weeks ago was the moment that uh, Jesus heals the the lame man and says, "Your sins are forgiven." Mm-hmm. And um, the Pharisees are like, "What'd you say?" And he, or he didn't even—they didn't even say anything yet. He, he goes, "I know what you're thinking," and tells them what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he says, "Is, is it easier gospel. to say? Mm-hmm. Is it easier to say that your sins are forgiven, or take up your mat and walk to show you that this is within my power? Take up your mat and walk." And the dude walks. And so I saw this salvific moment, this mm-hmm. moment that showed that God forgives before the cross and has the ability to forgive but even before the cross and it kind of shook my world a little bit and i had to go back into the atonement theories and go okay so i'm seeing this forgiveness and i'm seeing it as something that jesus can do and he can have mercy god can have mercy and do these things prior to the cross and so i do think that that pushed me more towards the christus victor view which is Christ, the victor, um, view of the atonement. And the recapitulation idea, I think, is very fascinating because it takes those bits and these other bits and goes, all of the things that were mentioned work, but it works through new creation. And another thing that I think speaks to what you're saying is that so many of the miracles are healing. They're healing of ailments. And what he'll say to the people that he heals in a great many cases is go and sin no more. And so there is this, like Cam was saying, this like forgiveness happening over and over and over again that was not, it, it did not necessitate him being put up on the tree, as they say. Uh, that all occurred prior. So it gives us this idea that um, really he was saving us from our own perceptions. And from our ritual uncleanness and our right. inability to enter into his presence. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I'm following you pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> Uh. So, um, so at this point, we've gone through my notes, but <laughs> that's okay. I have, I have, I have some things that I think work well in this conversation that I was planning on its own conversation, mm-hmm. but I think that it'll fit well just within us talking right now. So we have Great. more to, we can talk about, but go ahead. If you have something else you'd like to emphasize. No, I, well, I'd like to hear where you want to go with it because I, I actually, I have more like I could talk about, but at this point it sort of feels like it's just sort of filling in little gaps and going over just little details again. And so yeah. I feel like I've kind of laid it out. So maybe we can just talk a little bit and see where our conversation just to, goes. Just to say, I really appreciated the comparison you made between um, entity, heavenly entities and humans combining in the Old Testament being mm-hmm. a, a corrupting factor. And then Christ being God combining, um, being incarnated as a man is the same kind of event, but that's the salvific event. So, so many of the things 
that occurred in the Old Testament are made right again through yeah. through Christ, including uh, the mother of God representing sort of the new Eve or the um, new Ark of the Covenant through which the, the word of God is delivered to the people. Like, I really appreciate that um, follow through in the story. <laughs> yeah. And, that yeah. and that's, I think, for me, part partly what makes... Focusing on something like re recapitulation really helpful. And, and one of the chapters in there in my book talks about the uh, how it unifies the Old and New Testament, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so if you take like something like uh, penal substitution or even Christus Victor, you really don't need the Old Testament for that. Yeah. So okay. if you go to, if you go to a you know your local Baptist church down the street and say what must I do to be saved, they'll say you know believe that Jesus died for your sins. Now. They could go back and talk about the temple and the animal sacrifices and how that points the way forward. But it's not really a package deal. It's very, you know, and that's fine. Sometimes you take a little piece and you focus on that and then you can expand on it. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I like about recapitulation is it's it's about the story being completed. Um, there's mm -hmm. a, there's a, mm -hmm. a, a phrase that Scott McKnight, uh, a scholar, uses um, that the, um, uh, the gospel is the story of Israel being resolved in the story of Christ. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think, sorry, I think that's important. Yeah. It also um, sort of explains what Jesus means when he says, I'm not here to abolish the law. I'm here to fulfill it. Yeah. Which I think can be kind of a confusing statement without that exact context. Yeah. Well, and I think that the partly the difference between those two things and Cam and I were talking about this earlier is that you have a lot of folks who want to just sort of chop off the Old Testament and say, that's not the God I know. That doesn't sound like Jesus to me. And, yeah. and Jesus, I think Jesus is saying to those people, hey, I'm not here to say that's junk. I'm here to say mm -hmm. that's important. And it's, it's, it's because it's, it's about me. It points to me. Um, yeah. And, and I, you know, one thing I, I, I actually I didn't mention um, is that maybe two things. So um, when, when you're thinking recapitulation -y in a way, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. you'll, you'll think about what, what these parallels are, what's the same and what's different. What's the, what's, what do you recognize in the mirror and what's reversed, right? Yeah. And one of the things is that with the, the Nephilim, the, the watchers rather, the sin of the watchers is that they lusted for something that they weren't, that was inappropriate, that, right? right? Mm -hmm. And not, not, yeah. that, not that sex inherently is bad, but in this case it was, right? And the, the idea, um, what you see in, in the incarnation of Jesus is not something like, what you see with the watchers or what you see in Greek mythology or Roman mythology, where Zeus pretends to be whatever to have sex with a woman. Yeah. Uh, it's not that kind of, <laughs> it's not that kind of conception. Right. And yeah. so mm -hmm. th that's part of this reversal is that there's something that's different. There's something that's more pure. Um, it's not this corrupting lustful thing. Um, the other thing uh, that I wanted to mention is that, so if we talk about the um, the Apkalu and that sort of ancient Near Eastern context, um, what you're really seeing is behind this divine rebellion, there's a story of human rebellion, of man wanting to be God, wanting to say, mm -hmm. I have this authority, you should listen to me, I have divine a divine right to rule, divine blood, whatever. It's kind of like Babel again. It's another Babel yeah. story, right? Yeah. Um, and... Um, but the result of Jesus' incarnation is not that we try to reach for something that we're not supposed to have. It's that God reaches down and brings us up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you have something similar. It's like, okay, there's a movement forward, but it's a mirror. It's not the same movement forward. It's, it's, it's not us forcing our way up. It's God coming down and, 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 and taking us. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's, 
you know, we share, um, and I want to use, I want to explain this phrase. We share in, in God's divinity as a gift and not as a usurpation. Yes. I right? see. Okay. And, 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 uh, you know, Peter uses that word of, of, uh, this idea of sharing in his divinity. Right. And, uh, in the, in the East, they talk about theosis, yes. um, or another word in the West, you might say divinization, um, uh, mm-hmm. um, Wesleyans like Methodists would talk about entire sanctification, but the, and then, and, you know, regular, maybe good old boy Baptist would say something like uh, Christ sanctification process, sanctification or, or being like Christ. Right. Yeah. So, you know, when you say something like theosis or divinization, it's kind of, oh, that's weird if you're in the West. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But if you say something like being like Christ, okay, yeah, sure. I get that. But that's, it's really what essentially is going on is that we share in uh, uh, I think one of the, theological terms or distinctions that's made is we're sharing in the divine energies, not in the divine nature. Right. But, but what happens really is that in God coming to humanity, God is, is united again to us. He's in us. He, he can live in us and that we see that the Holy spirit. Yeah. Um, so anyway, and, and Which just isn't... like, I was just gonna say, and just like with the temple and the, the sacrifices and the, how the, the high priest had to be cleansed to enter the holy place. So we have that same, spilling of blood in Jesus that cleanses us so that the Holy Spirit can enter us and make us his temple. Yeah, mm-hmm. And that's in the creed as well that we say, the Orthodox Church says mm-hmm. on every Sunday, which is who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was the main, made incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. Yeah, And um, there's also this part, we were talking about this yesterday in the book of John, where Christ talks about um, us being gods. And he refers to the Psalms, Psalm 82 specifically, Psalm 82, 6, where it says, uh, where was it? I had it up. Um, I, I, and I have said, ye are gods, and all, ye, uh, and all of you are the children of the Most High. Mm-hmm. And so this idea um, is that we are to become, we are to achieve theosis or, or, or likeness to God. And so, that yeah. com- combination of Christ is human and God combined together in one i wouldn't quote psalm 82 only because i think that that's about the divine council uh but um, i I, I'm, 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 ref- I'm not i'm i'm oh. referring to when christ quoted it yeah when john so i'm it. not yeah right so in john when he's speaking to the pharisees and they're saying you you're a sinner because you're saying you're the son of god and he's like it's literally written that <laughs> and he's referring to ye ye are gods and which yeah. You know, then I had, I was like, where does it say that? So I looked that up and that comes from Psalm 82. That does come from the Old Testament, which those Pharisees would have known in that time. So I would, I would make a slightly different reading on that, but I I agree with your point. Um, And and what I would say is, so if, if Psalm 82 is about the divine council and God is, is talking to those Elohim, um, then he's speaking to them. So Jesus says, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside. What about the one whom the father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? So it's kind of a, uh, that much more argument. So it's like, if these, if these beings can be called gods, these angels or whatever, what do you say about me? You know? And so I think Christ is actually arguing, not that he's just better. He's, he's, um, you know, if, if God can call humans gods, then what about me? I think he's saying, if God can even call, go up the step on the ladder, angels, gods, then what does that mm-hmm. say about me? And so I think it's really an argument for his divinity. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. but that being said, I still, I still take your point. I think that um, we, are, we are meant to rule. I mean, that's essentially the idea. So 
um, God makes us. Uh, we talked about image bearers. This is this is the yeah. idea. At least you can make the argument. This is the idea. I think John Walton does um, that when a king would conquer an area, he would set up an image of himself in that area and say, "This is my presence. Mm-hmm. This is mine." Mm-hmm. And so the idea of being an image bearer, and if, if this is correct, if this argument is correct, is that we are um, uh, imaging the king. We are there to sort of say, this is God's rule over the world. So God makes us to rule with him. Um, yes. And and so, I mean, that's another, I mean, maybe the divine counsel is, is also kind of points to something as well, because we have these uh, angelic beings. But as we read in the New Testament, um, we, if not take their place, rule with them, right? And, you know, mm-hmm. Paul says even we're going to judge angels. But the idea is that God is bringing us up to that level to rule and reign with him, that he's sharing that with us. And that mm-hmm. was always the intended purpose before, uh, you know, Satan's usurpation <laughs> um, yeah. and sort of, you know, throwing us back down and, and us losing that privilege. Mm-hmm. Anyway, am I ranting anyway. a little bit? No, <laughs> <You're good>. no. <laughs> I well, I I love this conversation, and honestly, I think there a great book would be um, to go through and find all of those reversals throughout the Old Testament and what Jesus did. I think that'd be an awesome book. Uh, but what I love about the Nativity, about uh, Jesus's incarnation, is. In 1 John 4, 8, it says, uh, to put it simply, God is love. And so when God took on flesh, love, my favorite way I've ever heard God referred or Jesus referred to outside of his name is um, he's love wrapped in flesh. Hmm. And that's who who Christ is, is because like 1 John 4, 8 says. Um, And so that's why we, we don't typically mention the name of the episode but this is this episode is called the birth of love Hmm. and i think that one of the important things and this is why christmas as well as easter are my favorite holidays and it's not necessarily because of the traditions like the the tree or the candy or whatever i like these things they're fun but it's the the only more important holiday than christmas on the Christian calendar is Easter. It's the resurrection, the resurrection day. And so that's, that's where I come from when I'm like saying Merry Christmas, uh, November 1st is I am ready to get to the season where we're talking about the fact that God came down, became flesh and true love was born in human form through Mary and through the uh, conception by the Holy spirit. And I, 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 I get thrilled every time I, I think about Christmas because I get to think of that for so long. And I, and I get to do the same, the same thing with resurrection and we should talk about the resurrection in depth. I'm reading um, surprised by hope mm-hmm. right now. So maybe in April we, we do a res, a big old resurrection talk because I think yeah. that that's like new creation has been a very big part of what, of my thinking lately and my, my study yeah. is this idea of new creation. But one of the things I, I, I think we need to eventually do a whole episode on um, uh, with either a historian who talks about how women were treated throughout the years and especially in the first century and before um, and throughout the, the canon of scripture. But uh, a lot of atheists 
a lot of people outside of Christianity like to call um, Christianity and Paul. They hate Paul. Misogynist. Yeah, they don't like him. <laughs> they 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 like to say that Christianity hates women, that uh, it's against women's rights. But if you look at the Bible, if you look at the story of Scripture, it bears out the opposite, especially if you look at the cultures where they were living. So Mary, this woman that he chose, whether or not you believe she was sinless, it doesn't matter. He chose a woman. Of course, you know, with birth, you kind of need that. But he chose a woman to bring about Christ. And so you look through Jesus's lineage. You look through his genealogy. And you've got these se these several women. You have Tamar, the woman who, uh, that was, Le I believe it was, was it Levi's son's wife? And Le Levi died. And so Tamar, in order to, ha the, the way the law worked at that point was. Um, you mean the, the son died? Because I thought it was the, oh, wait. Yeah, no, the wait. son died. Yeah. Mm. His first son died who was married to Tamar. And so what happened was the way the, the law worked at that point is if your older brother died with a wife, then it was your job to marry that wife and produce him an heir with your first child. Mm -hmm. And so this, this law at this point in time, uh, his sons, uh, his little brothers wouldn't follow through. Onan is a big uh, person in this story because Onan was known to have sex with Tamar but to spill his seed on the ground instead of having a child with her. And so he, uh, I think this, these, these other sons died as well. And so the only person who was left, I hope I'm remembering the, the son of Jacob correctly, is Levi. And so what T Tamar does is she dresses up like a prostitute on the road. And she, she essentially gets Levi, her first, second, third husband's father, to take her into his bed. And she becomes pregnant by him and she takes his, his seal so that she can prove that this was the man who, who slept with me. And she's able to prove that it's his son and thus continuing the lineage down the line. And it's fascinating because this is not a woman that people would have well thought well regarded. I, I think this brings up something I was kind of going to mention earlier, but decided not to but then here it kind of comes up again so i guess i'll kind of talk about it and it's the issue of sex which don't mean to make anyone uncomfortable for any reason but we were talking about how like um sex and marriage is not considered a sin which i agree with i think that god made that holy um and then we have all these stories sort of in the old testament which you know is not my wheelhouse don't get me wrong so i'm i'm trusting your word on exactly how that went down i'm sure that it did but all these examples of the way that like sex is kind of um again one of these like ritual things and like it's here it, like if 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 your brother dies you're supposed to take his wife and have a child with her but um john the baptist was going to yell at herod uh about if he looks at his brother's wife's nakedness they shall be childless so on and so forth and I get this idea in my head, and maybe you guys can kind of tell me round table if I'm hitting this correctly, that sex wasn't maybe necessarily supposed to be part of human nature and is part of the corruption, became a yeah. necessary part of human life because Adam and Eve fell. And this was the way that the human beings needed to be perpetuated. 
let me let me let me get through let me let me get through it before you you field it because I got a whole I got things added on to this. So Hume, Adam and Eve are in the garden and they have immortality. They're not going to die. And then they take the forbidden fruit. Satan manages to corrupt them. And because they are corrupt, they will now die. Since they will die, the human race needs to be perpetuated. The way that it is being perpetuated is through sex. There are ways that sex is sanctioned by God, but clearly sex by its very nature seems to be something that we can do quite wrongly in almost every way. Like there are so many varieties of ways to do sex wrongly. Um, and we even see that in our culture today, the way that like the normalization of like sex outside of marriage seems to be like taking a chunk out of the um, health of our society and things of this nature. So would sex have been part of the plan if it were not for the fall? And is it only sanctioned in marriage because this is how the human race has to be perpetuated because humans will die? So when you said um, there's so many ways to do sex wrong, I wanted to interrupt and say, just ask my wife. But, um, <laughs> the, um, so I would say the Genesis 128, the, the command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth actually comes mm -hmm. before the fall. Yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so there's that. I think also the very the fact that God chose Eve as a companion for Adam, I think suggests a few things. Um, I do think that partially the complementary functions um, suggest that God does intend for there to be offspring. Um, but I think the other thing is that God recognizes um, that there's something um, good and beautiful about that relationship, um, including, you know, I think a uh, is it James who says the marriage bed is not defiled? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. There's nothing. There's mm -hmm. nothing inappropriate or wrong about it. So I don't see mm -hmm. it as a concession. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I would. I would not argue that. I, I think the sex is, is viewed as something positive. Um, mm -hmm. There are certain, um, you know, emissions of fluids are treated as unclean in Leviticus, but that's not sinful. That's unclean. That's different. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that's what I would say to that. Yeah. Can you can you speak to that a little bit about the way that unclean is different than sinful? Yeah, I think it has to do with just ritual uncleanness. It's okay. um, and, and a lot of those are maybe supposed to point to something. So, like for mm -hmm. example, the loss of blood and menstruation, um, the loss mm -hmm. of semen, for example. Those these are supposed to be things that point to um, kind of like a loss of life. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. a lot of the things that relate to uncleanliness um, either ha have to do something with sickness or decay or death. And so that mm -hmm. seems to be um, partly what what is uh, what the focus is on some of these unclean things. Maybe that's not in everything, but it, it mm -hmm. does seem mm -hmm. to be a, a common theme. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and it's, it's and I, I was, I'm sorry for that. I was saying no, but <laughs> when you were talking, I was <laughs> no. just like, I was just like, I was just like, wait, 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 wait. Let me no, stop you right because, there. Because yeah. it's, you know, it's before the fall. Uh, I God created man and women to men and women to procreate that was mm -hmm. the, because they made them in their kind male and female he made them that's part of the initial ideal that god created and set forth so sex mm -hmm. itself is not sinful in the marriage bed because that is the ordered way and the ideal way for this to happen however so there sin, would have been i'm sorry go ahead no i was just gonna say so sin uh uncleanness and sin the word sin literally would translate to to miss the mark so mm -hmm. it's 
uh, one of my favorite ways someone ever described sin, I think it was Mark Batterson who said it, is meeting a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. Mm -hmm. And so it's a twisting of what is good. In um, most most cases, it's or it's it's undoing something that's good. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And so we were always meant to multiply. We were always meant to be these human sexual create creative beings that created life. So sex in and of itself. I mean, there there are times that you probably shouldn't <laughs> for different reasons. I love your pants, by the way, Cody. Thank you so um, much. So <laughs> why do you think then that Adam and Eve did not have children before the fall? Do you think that they just didn't get the chance to? Or because um, I always thought it had something to do with the fact that humans were going to die now. And because they were going to die, they needed then to perpetuate the species because their immortality was no longer with them. It's not entirely clear that they don't have children before the fall. Um, yeah. Gen I mean, Genesis 4 talks about um, Adam knowing his wife and she becomes pregnant and gives birth to Cain. Is Cain the first child? Um, it's the first she child you read about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that, and that is after the fall. Um, I think there's a question about how long they're in Eden before the fall happens. I mean, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. so, so let's say they're there, but you know, before nine months, <laughs> um, you know, for less than nine months. Right. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, I think, so I, I would call that maybe an open question. I'm not sure about that. Mm -hmm. Um, but there is the command to be fruitful, multiply, um, before the fall. And I think too, you know, part of what, what we're seeing, um, this idea of salvation and, and why, why God comes and, and becomes a human being is that he is kind of calling us up. He's creating this family. Um, and so I, I think there's a sense of the more, the merrier. The point is not necessarily to replace, um, but to add. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's a part of imaging in a sense, because God created us and part of our, uh, first calling, first warrant was to create as well in tandem with him and create more people. Mm -hmm. and, and I was going to say that there's a, we were talking about Mary, um, um, a book came up, came to mind. It's a book called classic Christianity by a, a Methodist a theologian named Thomas Oden. And it's really cool because it's a systematic theology, which is like sort of taking the basic uh, elements of theology and sort of arranging them in a systematic way. But it's a systematic theology um, that is rooted in the church fathers. And so um, when he talks about Eve and Mary, um, he talks basically about the, the fact that um, women participated in the atonement. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so I think that's important to think about because if you separate Mary from the story, you have God becoming a man. God can't become a man and a woman. He can, he becomes one. And so right. he becomes a man, but that doesn't mean women are left out of the equation as far as that. Yeah. So, so Mary serves that role. But um, mm -hmm. what Odin talks about, too, that's really interesting um, and falls, falls in line with the recapitulation idea. He says, Eve is not to be viewed alone in isolation from Mary. Mary fulfills promises given to Eve. The mother of all living awaits the mother of the Savior. The human condition has become neurotically tangled and knotted by the history of sin. Uh, quote, the knot of Eve's disobedience was loosed by the obedience of Mary. For what the Virgin Eve had bound fast through unbelief, this did the Virgin Mary set three free through faith, unquote. That's Irenaeus. Now, Irenaeus does think that Mary's a virgin because the early church kind of had an issue with sex, unfortunately. Um, note the parallelisms. The fall occurred by false belief. The incarnation began with true belief. 
quote, as Eve had believed the serpent, so Mary believed the angel, the delinquency which the one occasioned by believing the other by believing effaced, end quote, Tertullian. Uh, as the destruction of the old humanity occurred through the disobedience of virgins, so the redemption of the world occurred through the obedience of a virgin. And he goes on to talk about how Irenaeus spoke of the, quote, back reference from Mary to Eve. This means that the faithful better understand Eve from Mary, not Mary from Eve. Those who criticize Christianity for having a sexist view of Eve's fall do well to ponder the meaning of the special role of Mary in the recovery of humanity from Eve's fall. I think what is interesting is Paul in particular blames Adam for the sin. Um, yeah. But Eve is there and she participates and she's helping. <laughs> and I think maybe if, if you were to make that parallel to Christ and Mary as well, you know, Christ is responsible for salvation, but Mary is there participating and helping. Yeah. Right. Well, and I do think it's a very interesting parallelism of the fact that the, that in the garden, there was a um, spiritual being who deceived and broke man. And Mary was visited by a, an, a, an angel, a messenger, another divine being who had a very similar con conversation, but brought truth and brought her to the ascent of having Jesus. These parallelisms, I, they keep coming out of nowhere, Cody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there is that, that consenting factor too, where, you know, it's required of Eve to make that choice. She could have chosen not to. Yeah. Whereas with Eve or um, with Mary, same thing. Like she could have chosen not to, it was not being forced on her in any way. And, and so, have you guys heard Mary referred to as the new Eve? It's something you'll see sometimes in church fathers yeah. and still mm -hmm. today in the Eastern. Yeah, I hear that a lot at my a lot a lot at my church actually, as they refer to her that way. If, if you Google it, there's a really interesting painting that you'll sometimes see around uh, Christmas um, of the of of Mary and Eve, and Mary's comforting Eve. Mm. Anyway, it's it's, it's pretty uh, good, but, uh, yeah. But what I was getting to with Tamar is that there was this. I'm so Just sorry. No, yeah, no, that it wasn't actually your fault. It was mine because I I had to ask my sex question. So, <laughs> but there was this very kind of disordered way that the line from Jacob from Abraham to Jesus was kept up, which God took the evil of Onan and his brothers and utilized that evil to continue the line down to Jesus, and then you you move a little further down. You run it into Rahab, who lived in Jericho. And when the spies were looking at Jericho to see if they could take down Jericho, uh, instead of giving them up to the people in Jericho, she hid them. And she then becomes, becomes a part of Israel. She becomes a part of the family. And she becomes one of Jesus' grandmothers. You move down further. You have Ruth, who was married to Naomi, Naomi's son who uh, had died and through Boaz as a kinsman redeem redeemer, which is a, an image of Christ in that, in that part of the Bible, she comes from a different land. She's not, she's not Jewish and she comes over and becomes a part of Jewish history. She becomes a part of Israel. She becomes one of Ju Jesus's grandmothers. And you mm -hmm. go down to Bathsheba who David took and had his way with her and had her her husband Uriah killed so that he could get away with having sex with his wife while he was away at war. Put him, put Uriah at the very front so that he got killed. And so Bathsheba, him and da her and David lost that first child, but then they had Solomon, 
who is a grandfather of Jesus, and Bathsheba is a grandmother of Jesus. And it makes it all the way down to Mary. And so throughout the history of the Bible, throughout the Hebrew scriptures as well as the New Testament, Phoebe, look at, I mean, Deborah, look at all of these women that you know the names of in the Bible. How much do you see that in other cultures, in other Semitic cultures or elsewhere around the world? How centered yeah. are females? Not, not. not mentioned at all. <laughs> Yet, in, in Jesus's direct genealogy, there are women that are broken, that have been hurt, that have done sinful things, and yet Jesus redeems them, or God redeems them, brings them into the fold, and makes them a part of his redemptive actions on earth by letting them become a part of Mary giving birth to God in flesh. Well, and, and also, they're not just there, but they're explicitly mentioned in Matthew's genealogy, yeah. which, which usually you would not mention as women. Yeah, and, mm -hmm. and not only that, but they're also women that... The social etiquette would be maybe to not mention because yeah. you've got a victim of rape you have a prostitute you have a foreigner and so i mean it just it's you know it, well, and, those, and you those have, are women who would not be looked out who would not be seen positively in the yeah and, and, and even even if you look into um before tamar you have uh jacob's two wives leah and rachel mm -hmm. and rachel was was jacob's preferred wife she was the pretty one she was the one that he wanted and he got tricked into marrying leah but which of those two women is jesus's grandmother hmm. leah mm -hmm. god loves women and he shows it through the old testament he shows it through the new testament and he centers them in jesus's genealogy so anyone who ever tells you that christianity and judaism is misogynistic they can go they can go screw themselves because they're wrong and I, um, I I despise that. Are you familiar? Are you guys familiar with uh, Bart Ehrman? Yeah, a little bit. I haven't agnostic. read his stuff, but I know who he is. It's agnostic textual critic. He wrote a, a book, kind of uh, making textual critic, kind of bringing textual criticism down to the you know the lower shelf where it could be easily reached. But he wrote it as an agnostic, and it was kind of supposed to be like all the you know the scandal of you know textual variants or whatever. Um, and I had read so uh, there's an argument that's used for Jesus' resurrection that um you know women are the first witnesses mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. if that hadn't really happened the apostles, yeah and the argument is if that if that if women hadn't really been the first witnesses of the, of the empty tomb then um the apostles wouldn't have said that because the apostles if they're making up a story they wouldn't put it build it on the testimony of women because of women. women weren't considered reliable now bart Ehrman's response to this was really fascinating he said no early christians wouldn't care about that because early christians were really egalitarian <laughs> and I thought it's like, you know, if you're an atheist reading this, it's a rock and a hard place, right? Do you yeah. want to deny the, uh, you want to say, well, okay, I can deny the, uh, the empty tomb and the resurrection, but I have to admit that, uh, that Christians had a really high view of women <laughs> or I can say that Jesus resurrected from the dead, but then I have, but, the, but then I can say the Bible has a low view of women. And so mm -hmm. it's like, it's a real catch 22 for, for someone, I guess, in that position. But I was really fascinated by that response. And the and another interesting thing to what you're saying is that the apostles uh, writing these stories mentioned themselves as the ones who scatter and are scared mm -hmm. and run away from this and then talk about how the women stayed at the feet of the cross. The women went to the tomb. And yeah, it's absolutely this sort of like reversal. Yeah. And in that way, it points out how um, Christ's coming was changing everything.
-hmm. and making things very different than they were before because it's a whole whole new ball game, whole new world now. Yeah. And um, I, I I actually found that painting that you're talking about. Um, it was uh, Eve and Mary, and it was mm -hmm. done by Sister Grace Remington. Um, what I love about it is that's actually crayon. Oh, is it really? Yeah, very few people <laughs> work in crayon and make it really well done. And this uh, nun seems to have wow. like found that balance. Cool. Um, but underneath it, underneath the website that I found it on, there's a fantastic little poem. And I hope you guys don't mind me reading it. It's really short. Okay. It's called Mary and Eve. It says, my mother, my daughter, life-giving Eve, do not be ashamed, do not grieve. The former things have passed away. Our God has brought us to a new day. See, I am with child through whom all will be reconciled. Oh, Eve, my sister, my friend, we will rejoice together forever, life without end. And I just think that's really beautiful, a really beautiful thought mm -hmm. about. Well, and one more point. <laughs> I'm, uh, Eve, why didn't I mention her in my, in my uh, slightly passionate conversation about women and how God views them? I, I, I'm surprisingly passionate about this. Um, <laughs> Eve is the person who receives the promise of God, of the Redeemer. She's the one who is called the mother of all and whose progeny will bruise the head of the snake, of the serpent. I mean, it's from the beginning, even within the, the, the curses that come from the, the first sin. Mm -hmm. We have God promising redemption through himself and through men and through women. And it's it's important to know that. I think that anyone who questions Christianity and how they view women, and uh, maybe some Christians are wrong. I mean, there are a lot of wrong Christians. Don't get me wrong on that. There's some people who believe some stuff that it falls squarely into the curse and not what Jesus promised through his redemption. There are a lot of people who do that. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about Christianity, the revealed nature of God through Jesus that shows you throughout time and throughout writing over a thousand, what, 2000 years of writing led and through every step, women were co-laborers with men. They were mm -hmm. side by side. They were the helper that men needed for God to use in order to save the world. So if you're a woman and you think that, that Jesus doesn't love women, because some jackass out there told you that he's wrong. Okay. Hear that. <laughs> we have this tendency uh, to look at things through the perspective of our own worldview and put ourselves at the center of that. So we live in this like sort of post feminism um, world right now. And you look at the condition of women 2000 years ago and say, Oh, how can you call that equality? But you really have to compare that to like how women were treated in the Greek world, how women were treated in the Roman world. They were chattel. They they were baby factories in every sense of the world word and nothing more than that. Whereas if you look at Christian tradition, they're the vessels of life itself. Yeah. And I mean, it at, is an elevated position. Look at Jewish tradition. Look at the, the what the son was in charge of when his father died. Mama lived with her son. Her son mm -hmm. took care of her. That when she had sons, they look at when Jesus died. Who did he think of on the cross? But he was literally hanging there and told John and Mary, "Behold your mother, behold your son." Like 
<laughs> Even he's like literally hanging there dying and he's like, oh yeah, uh, take care of her. <laughs> like, I think that's kind of awesome too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I just wanted to, like, I think that there's a, a whole conversation that can happen around this. But when we're talking about the incarnation, when we're talking about Mary, when we're talking about the nativity, advent, the resuscitation of man, the rebreathing of God's spirit into, into us, women were a part of that just as much as men. Mm. I mean, even maybe even men less so outside of Jesus. <laughs> uh. So is that... <laughs> I don't know where to go after that. Is there any, is, is there anything else we want to hit? I feel like that's a pretty good message. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. Well, and and so I, I yeah, agree with everything you said. I think part of um, part of this for me is is about putting uh, putting the event in the into the story. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. think you know if you you know of course there's there's a human role in, in the writing of scripture. But it's also superintended by God, and and I think it's not a mistake that you have these parallels and these mirrors, and um, these twists and turns, and it, it becomes when when you know how the story ends, it, it's like watching a really you know like sophisticated movie or a really complicated movie or uh, or even like like you know the Sixth Sense or whatever. You watch the Sixth Sense and you get to the end and you see what happened and you go oh my gosh and you watch it again. You go okay that was there the whole time and I missed it. Little flashes <laughs> of Tyler Durden. Yeah, <laughs> you got it. <laughs> and and, I, and it's those things that you know once you understand a lot more makes sense, and it's been there under your nose the whole time. Um, but but also, you also find that 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 ending now makes more sense when you understand it yeah. in the full fullness of the context. And I think that that is this idea. I think God is the master craftsman, is the master writer, um, yeah. who has the story to tell us um, that we're a part of. Yeah. And. Uh, so, I mean, that to me is, is really exciting. And um, this is kind of off topic now that you, cause it's, we've been, it's long since you mentioned it, but you're talking about holidays and yeah. um, it's, it's interesting to me that the evangelical church tends to be really, fo if you're thinking about like, an, okay, in terms of holidays, we really like Christmas and we really like Easter, but theologically we're not very interested in Christmas and Easter. We're interested in Good Friday. And it's because mm -hmm. for us, the good news is really, you know, oh, you're going to, you know, eventually you're, everybody's going to live forever. So it just depends on where you're going to go. And so, um, you know, but thankfully Jesus died and he paid for your sins. So if you accept that, then you don't have to go to hell. And I think that's, first of all, not the biblical message. Um, but second of all, it's interesting, the emphasis that we put on, on these holidays, I think, suggests maybe in some sense where we should shift a little bit, at least in that direction. Um, that um, God wanted to become become reunited with us, that we had lost that connection, and that God wants that not only on like a personal relational level, um, but that 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 He wants to change us, right? And He, he wants to do on us so that we can be different people to be holy, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's Christmas, and then of course Easter is this idea of the resurrection and the, the defeat of death. Um, and, you know, Good Friday's an important part of that, and, and that, that plays into that whole story, and you got to keep it in the context of the story. But it seems to me that we just take the one little piece out that, you know, we want to build our theology on, and the rest of the story doesn't matter that much. Um, and so so I'm thankful to talk about Christmas, but also to frame it up in the context of, of that story. Um, not only what was lost in Adam, but I think also 
uh, the, the Nephilim also play a part in that story as a counter and a, as a contrast. So I do like um, one of the things that first attracted me to the Orthodox Church is that they do put so much emphasis on Easter, what they call Pascha, mm-hmm. because to me, it seems like such a um, a more pivotal um, moment in the in the story. Like the Advent and the Virgin Birth, these are all, of course, extremely important. Christ coming to Earth, God coming to Earth as a man, but even more so is the moment where He is resurrected from death. Yeah. And yeah, and I one of the things that I liked about your book, the the first book that I read, <laughs> is that it does focus so much on the resurrection because I think that a lot of people feel. Um, or when they think about afterlife, they think about something like, oh, I'm going to go to heaven and live in heaven around the throne of God like the angels. And they don't think about the idea of their own flesh, their own body, their own being resurrected to life, which to me, again, is the much more pivotal yeah. thing in the tale. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, to, to imagine living in heaven disembodied for eternity mm-hmm. Not being able to eat Indian food and thinking that that's glorious somehow. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't yeah. get it. That's a that's a very vegetarian cuisine to choose. I, I... <laughs> and in that way, Earth remains forever corrupted. It never gets returned to its original glory. Yeah. And sure, I yeah. kind of like to see what flowers and things look like in their original form. Because if a rose is as beautiful as it is in this corrupt state, mm-hmm. imagine what the forest looks like what the waters look like when they're in their full glory and what I'm women looking- look like <laughs> right <laughs> everything be tight <laughs> um i think you know the the evangelical view of heaven is like you know it's, it's almost like you know you, when you die it's like you kind of like you know burn rubber in your camaro and you flip earth the finger and then you you know shoot off into heaven and it's like you kind of abandon everything it doesn't matter uh, it's very platonic. Um, it yes. doesn't really have anything to do with the Bible because the Bible argues that our physicality is really an important part of who we are. And that's also what the incarnation proves, right? Yeah. If, if, mm-hmm. if, if, if the human body was bad, then God, gee, God couldn't become a man. Yeah. Mm. Well, and this is, this mm. is part of this conversation about sex, about all of this, the material world. There's not only Platonism that made its, its way into Christianity, but in some ways, the Gnostics won a lot of battles. Mm-hmm. And we still see that to this day, this idea that the material world is evil and uh, in unsavable. And it's like, no, God made this. He called it mm-hmm. good so many times. Mm-hmm. Why are we pretending it's not? And it, it reminds me of the transfiguration. You have Jesus, uh, ouch, shoulder uh, climbing up and in prayer and he sees moses and elijah they see moses and elijah talking to jesus and so you have this glimpse into glorified humanity mm-hmm. perfected in jesus and you 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 see their reaction to it like jessica said before this awe this uh physical reaction this this mm-hmm. j- you know jumping away in a sense those dudes and freaked out but you see humanity as it's meant to be and I assume you see Earth. They they saw Earth in this this place, this meeting of heaven and Earth as it's supposed to be. Like the hope is the resurrection. The hope is the new creation, the new world, the the re- redeeming and recreating of what God intended, which is good. Mm-hmm. Which good? What does that mean? That which is like God. Like 
And I kind of beautiful. hope <laughs> I kind of hope that all of our pets will be there. All the dogs that we lost will be <laughs> also on the new and perfect earth. <laughs> my uh, my eight year old daughter is hoping to see dinosaurs. Um, but when I told her that they would probably not be so carnivorous, she was like, yeah. When I told her they probably wouldn't be carnivorous, and then you have the newer, she was really disappointed. Oh, uh, because um, yeah. T Rex is obviously the coolest dinosaur, yeah. right? I totally get where she's coming from. Sure. That's so rock and roll, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's it, it it occurs to me that for like a Christmas special, we're talking a lot about sex. Um, but that's okay. <laughs> It's, it's kind of the opposite know, of what Mary did. <laughs> right. It but but it comes up because the, her being a virgin and giving birth. I mean, I think even people or you know, we have this assumption that people who existed 2000 years ago were somehow not as cosmopolitan or learned as we are, but they yeah. definitely knew that you had to have sex to have a baby. Sure. So, this is, you know, I think part and parcel to this discussion and to understand, you know, what it what it really meant to for a virgin to give birth and why that was important and, and I, I i'm not sure i don't remember since, I, since i've embarrassed myself a couple times already i know the uh catholics believe in the perpetual virginity of mary and i thought that eastern orthodox did as well they do so yeah they do yeah, yeah. they and, um the idea is that she would have at that point be become a holy vessel okay and so it would not have been um no other human would have come through her that way gotcha. Yeah, and I think you know the inclination I think for Protestants is to say about that 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 seems to betray a really low view of sex, um, mm -hmm. and that may be so. Although once again we, we talked about the difference between holy and unclean or mm -hmm. unholy and unclean, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I, I think it, it may have been the case that she was a perpetual virgin, but I, I kind of like the idea uh, that she wasn't because she was a married mm -hmm. woman, and I I think sex is fine. <laughs> And, you know, this is something when I, Cam and I actually had this discussion quite a, maybe a couple of months ago, and I went to my priest about it because I'm newly Orthodox and even beyond that, newly Christian. Yeah. So most of these ideas are brand new to me and I can't speak for the Eastern Orthodox Church or, or, or Christianity as a whole. I'm just like sort of gleaning bits and pieces here. But um, as far as their take on her being, once you know Christ comes through her that she is a holy vessel, I do agree with that. I'm not sure that I look at people who don't think that and think, oh, these people aren't, aren't gonna make it. They don't believe the right thing. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I, I just a few years ago considered myself an atheist. There, you know, seems to me the main, they're like, what was John saying? That there are um, first tier beliefs mm -hmm. that are like absolutely yeah, necessary yeah. for salvation. And then primary the perpetual and primary and secondary tertiary. Um, so, you know, the perpetual virginity of Mary, is that a uh, primary salvific attack. belief? That's, that's tertiary at best, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think God's gonna yeah. be up there like, well, did you believe in the perpetual virginity? Yeah, you know, like so. Yeah, that, that, that yeah. So, and I think that that's an ecumenical way to think about it is to sort of stand back and say what's essential and what's not. Mm -hmm. uh, although I, I think maybe some of my uh, some of my Catholic friends, I would be a little less ecumenical, and they would say, "Listen, if the church says it, you got to believe it, dope." Um, and <laughs> it's essential. Uh, but but no, I, I I think that it's it is important to sort of step back and say because I mean ultimately I, I'm I've become very ecumenical in that you know I I I have my reasons for why I'm not a 
Catholic or Eastern Orthodox, but I also think that there's a lot to learn from them. Yeah. And, it's, and, I, and I think when you sort of hang out and talk to the people who always agree with you, you, you sort of have this very incestuous mm-hmm. theology that sort of becomes deformed and warped over time. I agree. Um, anyway. And now for me, the perpetual virginity makes sense. I, mm-hmm. I, I do subscribe to that. When I hear that, that makes sense to me that once, yeah. you know, literally the word comes through her body after that, I mean, you know, sure. to me, it makes sense for her to remain pure and not, not because sex is a bad thing. That is maybe my own question, my mm-hmm. own kind of thinking around it. But I don't see the perpetual virginity of Mary as related to the sinfulness of sex. Not it. W- she wouldn't have remained at a perpetual virgin because sex is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that at that point, at she is this literally. Yeah, she's set apart. Right. She's set her her womb has become more spacious than the heavens. This is not a normal womb anymore. Like this has been, you know, sanctified by having the literal Christ child inside of it. So yeah, for sure. And then of course we also have that Joseph died pretty early on after this. I mean, Jesus was 12. That's the last we hear of Joseph. He's gone after that. Sometime between 12 and 30. Yeah. Right, right. So and, and this is totally off topic, but I, I keep staring at Cam and the fact that the graphic looks like his. I can see his. It's like yeah, his I was. Body. I was thinking about that earlier. <laughs> right there, and just look, your fingers will just sort of pop up right if you put them right there. Anyway, it works pretty well. Right, yeah, I was thinking about that earlier. I was like, I'm going to do this at some point. I just know it. <laughs> uh, so, with that, I think we've we've wrapped the the gist of what we came here to talk about. And um, so of course I have, uh, before we go to the big question that we asked you just a month ago, which you'll (laughs) you'll have to come up with a new one. uh, Before we do that, now I feel like I can ask you the on the spot question, which (laughs) is, uh, what is is your favorite thing about me? So I don't know you that well yet, see, but we have been chatting some and I've been getting to know you. And, I think, I think I appreciate your heart and your generosity. I think, you know, it, it's, it's been, you know, really nice to talk to you. And, and I, I think you've been somebody who's, uh, you know, made me feel welcome and, uh, you know, has not been, um, you know, somebody who's been trying to keep me at a distance or anything. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Usually okay. when I try to befriend people who I've been podcast guests or they've been guests for me, you know, sometimes, sometimes they want to keep a little distance. And so <laughs> <laughs> if I like you, I like you. Um, but no, I, I, well, that's the thing. It's, uh, I always, I, I, I'm like, this is too early to ask this question, but he he has more than the first episode. Let's see what comes out. At least it wasn't my beard. That's what most people say. (laughs) Also, I think just the, the, the humility in asking the question I admire. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. I'm the, I like Moses and the most humble man that has ever lived. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> um, but the big question, which is, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to find a way to use this little bit of um, a Christmas carol, Christmas hymn in an episode, if I can figure it out, uh, probably cue the abolitionist episode, but there's the, uh, the thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we are a hope I show. Love, yeah. So what is it right now? that gives you hope that once you makes you that motivates you um is there anything new because i know it's only been a month but yeah. is there anything that's really struck you in the last 
so, I don't know how many days. <laughs> I remember the question is asking what I was like thankful for. And I, I had some things in mind, but hope hopeful is different because what yeah. makes me thankful is not necessarily what makes me hopeful. Mm. What well, makes you thankful? Because it is technically before Thanksgiving. Is, the, yeah. the jig is up. They know. Or, 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 or just after, <laughs> if, if, you're, if you're listening. Um, right. Um, yeah, so I, I was going to say I'm thankful for bibimbap, which is my favorite Korean food. Um, but um, <laughs> so, yeah, what am I? Um, Good answer. <laughs> yeah. I've never heard of this. Oh, it's oh, it's delicious. Uh, they bring it out. It's like it's like uh, all the kind of parts are like kind of separate. So like you have these different uh, elements of it. Uh, and then they give you this gochujang sauce. You spray it on there. I like that. Sometimes I get it like in a stone bowl. So it comes out. There's like a bed of purple rice at the bottom. And it's like real crispy mm -hmm. at the bottom and soft at the top. My um, best friend's birthday is tomorrow, and that's what we're going out for. So I was like, excellent answer. <laughs> um, what makes me hopeful, though? Um, I talked about my kids. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned my wife, but my wife definitely makes me feel hopeful, too. I, um, I think seeing God's grace work in, in ways that I didn't expect um, gives me a sense of hope. I think, you know, I, I see things obviously like all of us do uh, that are discouraging, but I think mm -hmm. those, those, those little pockets of grace and those little sort of surprising moments um, as I think Lewis, Lewis talked about being surprised by grace, right? Yeah. Um, those little reminders that, um, that I'm, that I'm not in this alone uh, give me a sense of hope. Yeah. yeah. I, I agree with that. It, it, we've had a lot of cool things happen in the last couple of months and uh, I think we're doing something. I think that God is going to use us and has been. And uh, it may not, and everyone who's followed us along the way may not be as interested in the stuff we're talking about now, but I don't care. And that gives me hope. <laughs> in, in fairness, that's only because I've been a guest on here a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when you turn your focus to God, things happen. And, you know, I couldn't, if, if you had told me last January, that I would get chrismated in a uh, ancient religion, I would have been like, you're out of your mind. Like, said, What's chrismated? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, amazing things happen when you turn your focus to God, things you don't accept, expect. And I think that's the road we're on, and I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm extremely hopeful about what happens next. There's so much that's going to happen next, and that gives me hope. Um, so... With that, I should tell people where to find you. Uh, you do have a show yourself called Cantus Firmus, and uh, if you want to listen to his show, uh, I don't, I don't know what all the podcatchers he's on, but I think search I'll pretty for much it, all find it. Yeah, I okay, think pretty much all of them. But if you want to find it on his website, you can go to uh, Cantus-Firmus.com. C-A-N-T-U-S-F-I-R-M-U-S.com. If you if you'd like to shoot him a tweet. You can do that at Cantus Firmus CC. And we talked about the um, the the gist and the part of his book, uh, A Second Atom. And it is down in the description if you want to get a copy. It's short. If you if you if if I'm to believe Audible and um, my PD my uh, book reader, it's going to take you about two two and a half hours to read it short book uh, that's what uh, Cody's really good at is why write a th 1500 pages when you can write it in 90 pages and, and and give citations give 
ways to learn more. I'm going to make my Goodreads uh, reading list goal this year because of Cody and the okay. size of your books. Yeah. So this will be the first year I ever actually managed to hit my Goodreads uh, reading list goal. So <laughs> thank you for that, sir. Absolutely. <laughs> Is there any anything else anywhere else uh, you want people to find you? No, really, ultimately, um, as long as you know how to spell it, you can find it. Uh, that's the tricky yeah. thing. I should have put, put, picked something that's easier to spell. Um, but um, <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, that's good. I, I'm. Um, we talked about Fight the Powers last time, and I'm in process of uh, getting um, uh, an audiobook produced on that. Nice. Um, so that'll okay. be coming out soon. The second Adam is on uh, audiobook, paperback, and Kindle. Uh, and I'm trying to get maybe some more on there too, but part of the thing is like, yeah, I, I write, I try to write short books cause I, I hate reading some repet repetition. It's not necessary. Um, but I also try to make them available for cheap. Um, and even if you, if, if you don't want to buy them or, or you want to do a group study or whatever, um, you can send me an email or a tweet and I'll give you, I'll give you a link to all of them on PDF. You can have them for free, but if you want to buy them they I always make them cheap. Yeah. It's, it's really nice. awesome. I have, I have all of them. And uh, if you ever want someone to read an audible for you, I, I would be, I would be open to that. By the okay. way, have you done have you done like a like a, any like book narration before? I haven't, but I've had people no. ask me more than once to. But read. he's got a good voice. His uh, red pills, um, where he narrates the stories. He did one for Waco, and he did one for Oklahoma City. They're um, rough topics to listen to. Don't get me wrong, but he narrates his way through them um, with great panache. <laughs> and you've got a good audio setup too. Yeah, I try. I can. Yeah. Th I think uh, Zen Pro Audio and we're in Dent for providing that for for me. Honestly, yeah. uh, good guy. He'll be on our our last episode of the year too. Uh, so with that, I'll, I'll pull you off of the screen, and then I'll do all of the 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 housekeeping, and then we'll wrap this thing up. So again, thank you for coming on. I have a lot of topics that I want to talk to you about in the future. So we're probably going to talk more. Okay. Sounds great. <laughs> Love it. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Cody. All right. And with that, uh, my dear friends, uh, we have to talk about what's coming up. Uh, the next episode up after this one is our Christmas party. Woo -woo! So we're, it's just going to be me and Jessica. We're going to, we're going to talk. And Christmas a roaring stories. fire. Yeah, there will be roaring fire. Um, we're going to talk about, we're going to have fun. We're going to celebrate Christmas. If you are a patron, well, first off, if you're not already, it's too late. But it's not <laughs> too late for the future. All of our patrons have been invited to the Christmas party to take part in it with us. Yes. We are recording that at the uh, at the end of November. And so anyone who's a patron will be able to do that. And in the future, this is going to be what happens as well. Next year, Christmas time, if you want to be a part of the Christmas party, I may actually plan some more things for that one when I have more time to think about it. Become we've a patron. We've got Santa sure. hats. We've got eggnog. We've got a <laughs> roaring fire. We've got everything it takes to make a banging Christmas party. So be there. It's going to be a lot of fun. And right after that, we're going to have Q the Abolitionist from Unshackled Liberty on the show. He joined our Bible study, and we've been talking over the past couple of weeks, and we're like, you know, we like this guy. And he he brought up to me when I was talking about Christmas episodes, he said, you know who doesn't get enough conversation is Joseph, the, mm. the earthly father of Jesus. The betrothed. And, I, and so we're going to talk with Q about 
Joseph, about the Holy Family. I, I guarantee you I'm going to read all of Luke 2 so you hear the Christmas story from Luke's, Luke's gospel, and we're going to go through that just right before Christmas. We're going to prepare, we're going to help prepare you, and we're going to prepare ourselves for the celebration of Jesus's birth. After that, though, it's our New Year's episode. Guess who's coming for New Year's? I just mentioned one of them. Dent is coming back. We're going to hang out with Dent, but even more fun than Dent. I'm not saying that. I'm kidding, Dent. I love you. Um, <laughs> Wow. Our good friend Brad Binkley will be joining us for Yay. our New Year's Eve episode. Um, it will probably not be very Christian. Um, I'm going <laughs> to try not to curse, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be centered around celebrating this last year, going through what happened, what we learned, what to look forward to. It's going to be a good time. We have two parties that are essentially going on in december and so become a patron next year so you can be a part of it oh, all right dear it's gonna be good um <laughs> if you are interested in the bible study we've mentioned we're still doing it by the time you hear this we will be we'll be in luke and we'll be reading through that one of the synoptic gospels and then we're going to move into acts so if you want to join so us so excited about oh yeah if you want to join us every thursday night we have a little church service on zoom and you can be a part of that discussion. We go deep. We bring up the things we don't understand. And if someone understands it, they talk about it. It's a very, it's a, it's awesome. It's been so awesome. And you should join that. Beyond that, grab yourself, grab yourself a coffee mug. Right now, uh, to get there, I haven't hooked everything up yet to be on the website. But if you go to themadoneshop.etsy.com, you can pick up one of our mugs. We have several. I, I, uh, I, by the time by this, the time out, this airs, should, it yeah. will be out. Yeah. Well, those are out. You can get those now. But what I'm saying is I need to make, by the time you hear this, I will have a Christmas t-shirt for you if you want a Christmas t-shirt. If you want to buy any of the t-shirts, wearethemadones.com slash store. Um, after you get your mug, you're going to need to put something in it. I don't sell whiskey, so the next best thing is coffee. Runyourmouthcoffee.com. Use promo code themadones. Get some coffee. Get some some uh, some beef jerky from Righteous Felon. Use promo code MADONES. Like I've said multiple times, join us on Patreon. Help us move this thing along. Help us share our lives and our questions and our wrestlings with the world. And hopefully we can come together and find some answers and find something beautiful. Uh, Patreon.com slash the mad ones. We're also on Rockfin if you want to find us there. We're on, if you're listening, YouTube.com slash the mad ones if you want to watch it live and comment. Um, you can listen to it on any podcatcher you could ever find. And we're also on Odyssey. I believe that's all I need to mention. So last words, one Merry Christmas. Christ came to this world to, to save you, to save us, to reclaim, recreate and reinvigorate humanity. And you can be a part of that. So if you're into that, come along with us. So with that, dear listeners, uh, you have a chance to be a light in this world. So go light it up. 